One quick message before I start the show. You can find all the links and resources for this episode by visiting the show notes on rickyrichards.com. If you enjoy this episode, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you can help me to grow the show by leaving a review on iTunes. For anyone who does subscribe, review or share, thank you. I appreciate it. Now let's get into the show. Welcome to Ricky Richards Represents, the show where I talk tips for success with leading figures of creativity and innovation. Hello and welcome to another episode of the show. I have some very, very special guests on the show today, but before I introduce them, I'll start by introducing the company that has brought us all together. Established in 1997, Factory is a multi-award winning sound studio and audio facility based in London, whose highly skilled team of sound design specialists have created some of the most revered and award winning commercial work of the last two decades. Their work in commercials, online video, radio, film, Dolby Surround, VR and experiential audio have resulted in a tsunami of awards for seemingly every project that leaves the building. I'm joined by Lizette Nice, who is the founding partner and managing director who started the company 20 years ago, and Lou Allen, who is head of production and the executive producer here at Factory. Guys, it's nearly Christmas. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hello. Hello. Very good at lashing up intros, as you've just discovered. <laughs> I, I very much apologise. You handled but, uh, it very well. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's Christmas. How, guys, how have you guys been? Good, yeah, really yeah. good. Just glad it's nearly Christmas. We're full of festive cheer. <laughs> I hear you had your Christmas party the other day. We did. So you're we... feeling a little bit worse for wear, or you're okay? I think it, by our standards, it was quite tame. It was very tame. It was all about team games. So if you keep people occupied, they have less time to visit the bar. The Crystal Maze, I hear. Yeah. How's that? Fun. It was great. Thoroughly recommend it. Really good. I think I should, uh, sorry to interject you there, but just kick off the episode by mentioning who you guys are, because um, whilst I try and name drop you throughout the course of the year, you are the people (laughs) that have basically given me the facilities to record the show. And um, literally from the bottom of my heart, I know that this is a Christmas episode, but thank you so, so, so much for giving me the opportunity to do it, both of you, because uh, we've got to meet some amazing people and hopefully help a lot of people. And it's steadily growing, uh, not at the rate at which we all hope, but fingers crossed in the future it will uh, turn a corner and it will blow up but um, thank you so so much for giving me the facilities very I really welcome appreciate it. you're very welcome um, also just to put into perspective just how uh, influential you are in the industry uh, I thought I'd start by pointing out that you did virtually every Christmas ad this year so Samsung Sainsbury's Heathrow John Lewis uh, and not that you ever reveal your secrets, but obviously this gives you a massive inside scoop when it comes to the Christmas commercials. And I wondered if you ever actually uh, vote on which ones are your favourites year on year. Uh, well, we sort we get the scripts in August generally, yeah, so early. you're not very Christmassy at that time. Yeah. Um, but reading them, the ones that get you are really the ones with first of all. The sort of cute factor. Yeah. That goes hand in hand with that time of year. And then it's ones that, you know, really tell a story um, and really sum up that. I think it's a unique time of year where you can literally go with all the cliches that you want to and people are generous with how they judge that. So, yeah. 
they're on paper the ones that get us. Yeah, um, definitely. So there must be the days when you gather around in the room and you watch it and you go, they're on to a winner with this one or... Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can tell pretty early on, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And, uh, like, I, no- I noticed this year there was one, and I can't even remember who it was for, it goes to show, but it, there was, like, a kind of elf and it runs for this, uh, like, thing with a jet engine on the back and they're trying to get the present in the back. And it was kind of really uplifting, high-energy commercial that... Um, it was reminiscent of the kind of shows you might watch around Christmas versus the ones which are always very heartfelt and touching. Emotional. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems this year that emotional's won out once again. Uh, do you think that that will ever change? And, um, and term, from a sound perspective, that must be quite obvious which ones are hitting those yeah. notes. I mean, for emotional, it's about the track, right? It's always about the music. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think people are... Um, <sighs> Let's see. People love, as I say, to go with the cliche at that time of year. So you, it, it's about Christmas and everything that triggers Christmassy feelings for you personally. Um, so playing on emotion is the easiest way to get into that, I think. I mean, this year you guys have celebrated 20 years since since you founded the company and... From, obviously people can't see what's around me right now but we're in about as high tech of a sound booth as you can possibly get in London there's several of them you've got different technology that's uh, only just emerging that you guys have launched it's been such a journey and through that time you've created so many iconic pieces of work I wondered for both of you you've both been here for quite a while now and just what are some of the highlights or the, the moments that you remember through, throughout the course of this journey Wow, my memory is not that great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. I think for me, it's just working with a great team. It's just we've we've always had a really lovely flow of staff here. And that's what makes the job just brilliant. And obviously, all our clients are great. But to have such a talented team here is a highlight for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, I I totally agree with what Lou said. But I think there's been a couple of key pieces of work um, that not only have been a highlight because of what they've challenged us with, but a highlight in terms of the profile we managed to, they raised for us. Um, So probably John Lewis, The Long Wait. Yeah. Um, And then Honda Hands, I think. I didn't realise, that was, it was such a well-received ad, but when you say that that did well for you guys, why in particular do you think, the Honda Hands? Um, Because it was an ad that sound design was absolutely integral to the success of what their creative directors were trying to achieve. Um, And it was so complex, um, so technically challenging and rewarding for us to make um but something that put sound so massively at the success of how it was received is is rare to be able to receive projects like that to be involved in so it's funny that because i mean i know i've got a section of the interview which specifically focuses on the sound design but is it unusual for you to have a client uh, approach you early on and say you know 
we need sound to be an integral part of this or is it more so a bit of an afterthought where they come and they say we've got this idea of what the sound is to be but we want it to be a little bit like this when you say the honda hands is that because do they come to you before they've even produced the the visuals or well that was definitely one because every sound in that commercial was a honda product so you know a great deal of work has to be done before months 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 before just researching gathering uh, sound effects uh, recording on location those specifics um, just creating a library before you even begin matching sound to picture so I think the most successful use of sound design in a commercial is um, are, are the ads that have considered sound literally from the moment the ad has been conceived I remember um Tony Davidson at Widen Kennedy and he was famous for doing what's the yellow puppet for BBH um Mis- oh, uh, flat, flat eric flat eric, flat eric. Yeah. Flat eric yeah. yeah with mr <laughs> mr ozio or whatever it was in the background but he used to always rant and rave that you know what's the what's the audio was basically his second question after he heard every single idea yeah hence why he's a great creative leader or ecd yeah uh, yeah <laughs> true um in your timeline of how you started the company, uh, I was fascinated by everything that you, you, that's happened, but at the same time it seemed to kind of, and I can understand why, it greased over a little bit like the foundations of how the company came to be. It's not necessarily essential to what has become this amazing uh, platform for sound design, but just from a, a, someone out there listening who wants to start up their own company or... Uh, to hear just the inspirational story of how it actually came to be what were what were the the origins and yeah uh well i left university and went to work at an animation studio so um i was a pa and then a producer and sound was integral to animation um and i had a passion for sound then basically got together with a, um, the sound designer I used as a producer and we decided to do something ourselves and primarily to try and uh, create something that was more about more than selling our skills on an hourly basis. We wanted to be paramount to the process of creating. Um, but when you say, sorry to interject, but when you say you were passionate about sound... Mm. Is that something, did you play musical instruments or was it something that developed when you realised? Well, <laughs> actually, uh, I went, at uni I did performing arts right. and I actually majored in dance. Yeah. So, no, I don't play musical instruments. <laughs> you used although, to make sounds while yeah, you did it. Yeah, <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do think I can play the drums, but, you know, I don't think anyone else does, but... Uh, but yeah, I just think, you know, a love of music, a love of, mu- you know, music, movement, you know, that sort of uh, focus, university experience of studying, performance, um, you know, just led me down that path, really. And as a producer myself, I I had clients that were in the music industry, so I was making promos and commercials for record labels. And then did all the ads for, you're probably too young to remember, <laughs> but uh, our prize <laughs> and then, then HMV on a weekly basis. So it was heavily involved so, in music. W- what was the, the, the tipping point in terms of 
you're, you're uh, an individual, I guess, a freelancer or a, an animator, sound engineer at the time, or, and then you you get a commercial client and it turns into the the beast that we have before us now, this huge company. Like, at what point did you invest in? Um, you know, your first studio and, and equipment and that well, kind of thing. Well, I, w- I was the role of producer, new business and um, sort of set up. And my business partner at the time was the engineer. Um, and as I say, we just wanted to do something that was different from a studio where you bought um, your skill set on an hourly basis. We wanted to be a more integral part of a creative process. So... Um, we committed straight away to getting a building and um, building a studio. Then, unfortunately, we lost funding. So we were pretty much stuck with a lease going, oh, we had a telephone and a fax machine. Um, and that was it. And so we just went out and got work. And what we did was dry hire other studios. So we took our talent and used their facility Um and then we had a clever, we took a clever move, really, and I have to credit my business partner at the time for that. Um, he chose to invest in Pro Tools. So essentially, we could be just desk-based for a while with Pro Tools set up. Um, and then as we got more confident with that, we invested in soundproofing and then building studios. So we went from nothing to two studios quite quickly. This is something that I've been doing a little bit of research on recently and it was kind of how the industry is fragmented to some degree. And it was talking about how as technology has become more accessible and cheaper to to access in some capacities, it's made competition a lot a, a lot easier. So I, I imagine back then you, you've, you're you saying you're uh, citing Pro Tools as a one key turning point that just embracing new technology early on made a massive difference. Yeah, it did, um, because the uh, the competitor studios were all sort of fixed into quite... Um, uh, well, I can't really say that. <laughs> big, big desks. Uh, <laughs> big desks, lots of buttons and flashing lights. And um, essentially, you know, Pro Tools did the same thing. Um, it's really about the the skill of the user rather than the the licenses and the software and the, you know, hardware that you have. I mean, what is essential, obviously, is the quality of the room yeah, and the quality of the operator. So, you know, our, our decision uh, to invest in something that was new seemed to make sense because what we were confident of was our skills and then we built the room around that package rather than the other way around. I, I read a I read a book and I can't, I can't remember what the title of it was now, but it was about advertising maybe 20, 30 years ago. But you had Tony and Ridley Scott and I remember them talking about how they were such exceptional filmmakers, but they, they didn't have much tech and they'd go to multiple commercials in the over the course of a single day. But they'd have pulleys and rigs and, you know, they'd, they'd improvise with what they had access to in order to kind of create these amazing things. And... It, just on that point before I move on, like, um, do you think there's people now that can walk around with a laptop and some sound gear and to some degree compete with what you produce now or is that out of the question? Uh, no, I think there is. Um, it's different. I mean, what we've grown our company to do is to ensure that we provide an all-round service. 
Um, so even though you may be a very skilled sound designer um, and sit in your bedroom with headphones on and and build a soundscape, you know your it being a good sound des- designer is more than that. It's being a good people person. It's being able to listen to what people have to say, to address feedback, to, you know, it's more than a lonesome operation. So it suits certain people, but we decided to grow factory in a very different way. Um, so the all the front of house and the back end are as important and integral to the experience that person has here as, than as being in the studio is. I think we're going to talk about that in a, in a little bit and specifically you, Luke, because I know the whole journey through from the minute you walk through the door to when you leave, it's like a... It reminds me a little bit of walking into Selfridges or something where you feel delightful while you're in there and then you walk out and it's all cold, you know? (laughs) You're like, oh, shit, okay, my life's not quite as joyous as it was. It's quite magical in here, yeah. It is, Um, Just one last thing before we move on to sound design. One thing that strikes me, and you just briefly touched upon it there, is the fact you have to be a people person. Sound and music, at least from my perspective, obviously I'm no expert, is quite subjective. How do you deal with with that kind of aspect of it with clients when you're trying to work out what what's right and what's wrong? Well, nothing's right or wrong. That's the thing to remember. Um, I think it's really, really difficult um, because most people don't have the language to express what they might like or what they imagined in their head. And even if you're really musically trained... Um, so it's you create a sort of um, set of triggers that you begin to ask people, um, asking them to give you reference points, um, tell them, ask them how they, it makes them feel rather than what it sounds like. Yeah. So you create a new sort of little language between yourself, um, and you have to be really good listener because. Uh, you have to sort of fathom out what they actually mean. I was going to say, because for someone that doesn't know anything about music, for example, but who often engages with commercials and stuff, you'd probably be very quick to say lots of different words that probably mean very different things to me than they do to you. Um, that's quite a skill that you that you develop over time, I guess. And um, yeah. Is that something that every one of the sound engineers has? Or how does that process even work from the moment a client comes in to... Um, I think all the engineers have their own techniques, really. Um, But for me, it's definitely about trying to find something that connects with that person. So, you know, for instance, some people stand there and they can, they're happy to sort of act out how they want it to sound with silly noises and, (laughs) you know, like, um, but other people are really insecure about putting a noise out loud that you might not interpret. So you have to then feed them, well, does it sound a bit like this? Or what colour do you imagine when you hear that sound? You know, like you have to find just different triggers. Yeah, and lots of testing. Just trying different things. It's Yeah. Well, I was going to say, because when an agency puts together a script or whatever, they will oftentimes envision what track they want to put to it. And then... Do they go and get the licensing for that? And if they do, is there, has there been occasions when someone splashed out a big chunk of cash and then it's been completely wrong? 
can possibly say. <laughs> um, it's, it works. It works both ways. Some people come to us and they want us to do the whole package. Some people know exactly what track they want. There's a lot of music testing, which we do for a lot of Christmas ads, obviously, because it has to be exactly right. But it's. Um, yeah, I think if they know exactly what they want, they'll just go and license it themselves. But yeah, sometimes it, it can be a bit dangerous because everyone has bought into that track from day one that they love, and then they find out, you know, that there's just no way they're going to be able to afford it, or the estate that owns it will never release it. Um, and then you're always on the back foot because nothing, no nothing one is ever going to. Yeah. <laughs> no one ever is going to you know, be that emotionally connected with something that is the reserve plan B, you know. In the second segment of the interview, I wanted to find out what tips and tricks the team have picked up over the years for creating great audio. I know I myself have fallen victim to the age-old problem of forgetting to consider audio before I shoot a video, and I wondered if this is a problem that they experience regularly and what other events they've had to overcome to consistently deliver the sky-high standards that they uphold with every job. I was trying to work out the other day why kind of humans in general like music and why, from my bit of research I did, what I discovered is that it it lights up a part of your brain which is also lit up by things like sex and food and all these other wonderful things that we experience in life. But um, as a team who have, you know who have worked on several ads and worked with thousands of different tracks and different music. Have you noticed a kind of a, a, a genre of music or a type of track that tends to work consistently and that always wins at the end of the day, or is that...? I don't think so. I think, you know, you really have to force yourself to consider the unique moment. So the music has to be really appropriate to what is envisioned. Um you know, music is has to be part of the storytelling message. Um, you know, and sometimes that works. You know, if music is actually clashing, you know that. But it has it has a job, and so um, it will be unique. I don't think there's any one genre. So no. no, definitely not. So it's, sometimes it it. Uh, compliments as you just rightly put and other yeah. times it, it either enhances or it works uh, in, in in opposition to it i mean i i think of emotional things and i just think of the things that i myself have kind of watched and maybe maybe uh, tear up a little bit or it makes me feel particularly kind of upbeat and bobby is it is it something about the fact that when music what makes music more than just an accompaniment and something which is a key feature? So earlier you mentioned the Honda hands, but what's the difference between an ad where music is just a, a secondary thought versus one where it's integral? I know that's maybe a Look little shit bit... shit then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think both mu- both music and sound, sound design, are part of an audio experience. They're another sensory experience... To what you're trying to achieve with that visual experience, yeah. Um, so, you know, they have they have to do a job. They have to touch you. They have to. I mean, there's so many things they have to. You know, help the storytelling. You know, do they? You know, help build the drama. Do they? Uh, are they integral to the plot? Are they? 
making you feel something? You know, where are they putting you? Are they changing the pace? You know, it does so much. Uh, Music has so many connotations with it as well. I mean, certain genres would suit certain products and all that kind of stuff. I guess there's almost a secondary story which we subconsciously take on through music. Do you think that's true or not really? Yeah, good use of music, yes, definitely. Um, When clients come in and meet you, obviously, as you've just rightly pointed out, a lot of people are creative and you're having to create this own little language or narrative between yourself and and them. What are some of the reoccurring issues that just kind of come up over and over again for you in terms of working with clients? And uh, Well, other than, as I say, the language to express what they're hearing in their head, um, I think time constraints are a thing that yeah. comes up. Um, you know, it, we, we like to be involved from the very start, but um, that's an ideal scenario. More often than not, we're at the end of the process. So we're always up against the final deadline. Um, So time and, yeah, which eats into that opportunity to test and be creative. Yeah, preparation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then I think the... um, There's a little bit of ignorance to the process because... um, if they've recorded on set or on location, they imagine things can be fixed. <laughs> <laughs> or they don't record any audio at Yeah, all. or they don't record any audio. Yeah. And you're having to spend time remaking atmosphere that, quite frankly, would have been so simple if yeah. they'd had someone with a mic on set. Yeah. Um, and so, what are some of the biggest hurdles just in uh, in terms of stories that you've where someone's messed it up massively they say they've not recorded any audio or what's the biggest <laughs> what's the biggest hurdle you've had to overcome couldn't possibly say <laughs> um i think i think it's just generally when people don't record any audio on set because you can always enhance sound recreating when you can as well but it sounds better when you when you when you enhance it yeah yeah i think that's the thing i mean uh you can do a lot in post so it's always better to have uh a guide Mm-hmm. to what the real sound was in the first place. Because, again, we're back to this whole language, you know, if we are all got to imagine what it sounded like, you're going to come up with, like, 50 different versions. Yeah. Does that come down to dialogue as well or just merely ambient noise? Uh, no, dialogue as well, because obviously that will be uh, for timings and delivery and, um, you know, it would set cues that, you know, we might... It would be difficult to pick up unless something, at least a guide track was yeah, recorded. Yeah. One of the things that I said that I'd uh, researched prior to coming on was this amazing TED talk where they played with sound in order to create propeller noises and that kind of thing. And I, I started to look into this and from an outsider perspective, it's absolutely fascinating to see that the sizzling of bacon in a pan might sound like <laughs> rain or uh, I've got other examples here. Let me have a look. Uh, well, no, I've got that and I've got... Uh, no, that's it. That's all I've got. <laughs> Bacon in a frying pan. But okay. then there's, oh, that was it. I was going to do my little impression of horses trotting, which is my chest like this. Very good. That Very is good. good. Right? I was expecting you to get the coconuts out. Yeah. Or, <laughs> but uh, what are some of the things that you guys have done, and what are some of the funny noises and um, 
Well, there's definitely an element of uh, intrigue that goes on when somebody says, right, I need some Foley recording. Everyone gets involved. Everyone. Sorry to interrupt. Foley. Yeah. So Foley will be, you know, sort of spot sound effects that are, that match the picture that you have to recreate that basically means someone standing (laughs) in a room (laughs) making a tit of themselves. (laughs) Generally, James. It was like rubber gloves or something. What what do rubber gloves get used for? Like funny things, I don't know. But um, yeah, no. So, what are some of the examples that you guys have done? Well, we've had there's whenever there's um, food features a lot. There's lots of sort of slapping of fish and meat around the place, isn't there? Um, (laughs) There was a gutting of a whole salmon at one point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, James once had to. Uh, wear like a, a made suit of cardboard boxes to sort of replicate someone <laughs> running um, in a marathon wearing, you know, like a fun runner in a big sort of frog suit. Yeah. So, you know, legs, arms, body, head of cardboard boxes running around the so studio. You, you might not be able to answer this, but <laughs> for when it when it comes to Foley, my new mm. word that I've discovered, yeah, um, you hear a noise or you have a noise in your head about what you're trying to replicate. How do you go about matching it with, right, uh, we need, what we need is a cardboard box suit or what we need is bacon in a frying pan? Like, how, Is it a case of listening to what it is originally? But um, that can't always, you can't always access that, I assume. No, and, and real sounds might not sound like you imagine them to sound. So, I don't know, experience, the engineer's experience yeah, of trying experience. out and experimentation really um over the years i know that you've upgraded your studio numerous times and what innovations have occurred in sound in the last 20 years you know that have gone from you know i know you've got a, what's the studio you've got upstairs well the major one for us is dolby atmos right so which is 360 object placing sound so uh imagine that you've got a whole 360 environment to work with and you can literally place your sound to fit that space um, rather than dealing with, you know, stereo audio. So is that where it's been traditionally over the course of 20 years? What what has already happened just to kind of lay out the trajectory of sound? Well, you're asking me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, from mono to stereo and then um, cinema is 5.1. Is that the number of speakers? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right, got it. Um, so yeah, so 360 sound is is uh, the development, and lots of cinemas are upgrading to include it. It's obviously a, a really amazing experience to watch a film because it's great storytelling. You can deal with you know action and plots that are off screen. Um, it's just a more a guttural experience. So is that something you have to say we're watching a film? Is that something you'd have to go to a specific cinema to, to experience? Yeah, you yeah. do. And they're all upgrading. I don't know how many there are at the moment. It's, but it's slowly rising, but yeah, more and yeah, more. Yeah, I mean, all Hollywood movies are being mixed in 360. Yeah. Dolby Atmos at the moment. Pe- people always go, like, oh, a big film comes out and they go, I'm going to go to the IMAX. Yeah. Is the IMAX like the one for good sound or is that just like a, a thing that's permeated culture that's based on nothing? Well, I think the IMAX has sort of um, cornered the market visually and audio, hasn't yeah. it? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't go 
to the IMAX very often. I, but... s- I find it all very overwhelming, the IMAX. It's a yeah. bit, yeah. bit full on. Yeah. <laughs> Starts ripping your skin off your face kind of thing. Yeah, but I think they are the, uh, the pinnacle of technology yeah. visually and audio yeah so certainly this, what we can experience in london yeah this, this wasn't a question i had but where do you guys go to the cinema then you guys must be quite picky um yeah well i personally like to frequent ones local to me and i'm lucky i have a picture house and an everyman yeah i think picture house are pretty good i have one local to me but it's very small it's but you know, unless you're, it depends what you're going to go and watch. If you're going to yeah. go and watch a blockbuster, I probably would go to the IMAX or Picture House. But if you're watching like an art film, it doesn't really. Yeah. My front room. That's yeah. where my husband <laughs> <Netflix>. to watch. <laughs> yeah, movies. That's it. yeah, out your laptop speakers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at least there's no one munching crisps and yeah. popcorn in your ear. Um, I have to ask because it's something that I'm fascinated about. We're about to, in the next ten years or so, see the emergence of at least some more advanced VR and AR technologies and you're going to be placed into the metaverse or this 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 world in which it isn't real life and then at the moment we see a lot of visual depictions of that but we've not really thought or many people don't necessarily think about what the audio experience is going to be like in those environments and obviously you're talking about not just uh, a flat picture or even 360 sound you're talking about sound within uh, what's what's more than 360, like a three-dimensional space? You might move in the environment and get closer to a sound source and then move away. Like, Is it stuff which is adapting for that kind of environment? Does that exist? Yeah, I'm sure technology is, is changing daily. Um, I mean, for us, our skill set is about the creative design. Yeah. So um, we're not at the forefront of developing new technologies, although, you know, what what we do can translate. Because I know when we had Henry in, we went up and, and uh, talked about the, the suite upstairs. Yeah. Why is that particularly relevant to VR? Um, well, the idea is relevant, that obviously you're dealing in a 360 space. Right. Um, and you as the, the person experiencing that are central or you can change your space which obviously goes hand in hand to the vr experience i see so so at the moment it's the it's the middle of a circle rather than yeah that you can wander the circle or whatever yeah i mean vr does translate to our dolby atmos room but um i think at the moment vr audio doesn't seem to be as successful as uh, in its development or funding or technology as the visual yeah. Uh, growth is um i mean there's lots of people experimenting and trying to change that and um, we're trying to keep on top of all of that but yeah i think at the moment because vr is definitely a singular experience yeah. you are experiencing it on headphones and translating that into an experience is harder i think at the moment but you know we're up for it <laughs> <laughs> In the third segment of the show, I wanted to talk about culture and people. Since moving to London over five years ago, I've worked in countless agencies, and none have been as welcoming and aware of the positive impact of people's experiences as Factory. I wanted to see if I could uncover their secret source for culture and attracting great talent, as well as digging into the numerous stories surrounding the celebrity guests that pass through regularly. 
this is where we get to jump into some of the more fun stuff. And I know everyone loves a bit of celebrity goss. <laughs> and uh, I, just recently, when you come in, I always speak to James and Frank, and they're like, guess who we had in today? It was fascinating. <laughs> uh, you, you've had uh, Mr. Tom Hardy and John Han, who people probably more, more uh, commonly know him as the Don Draper himself. So who have been some of the celebrity highlights and what are some of the best and worst experiences you've had working with celebs that we've gone through? I don't think we're allowed to say You're that. A, come on. <laughs> this is not the podcast. A studio. No, you, this is where you're supposed to drop the gossip. Uh, I don't know. I think, I think most... Well, the celebs that we have in have always been really lovely. They're always really nice. Ten um, out of ten. John Hamm was lovely, <laughs> I have to say. Yeah. My highlight was Kate Blanchett. I thought she was amazing. Yeah. I was a bit in awe of her and she was lovely. Yeah. Um, Most yeah. of them are really charming. Yeah. Um, and if you are worried about that, it's generally because it's been set up in a sort of a bit, uh, you know, in a way that is not actually the person themselves, like their management or the their agent or something might have set you up to have this sort of expectation. Fear. Yeah. <laughs> and, and actually the people themselves are really professional. Who, who, out of all the people that you've met, have actually had the most presence, in your opinion? Like, you know, who? Let's not let's not talk uh, negative things, but who, who radiated, you know, you know, celebrity presence? Did anyone in particular? That's a good question. Because um, uh, mm. it's always fascinating when you get these these people that have had these kind of wildlife experiences to see if behind the scenes are they just as normal as you or I, or do they have some kind of additional charisma or something that makes you particularly attracted to them? Uh, not, not when they've come in, no, because I think it is a professional environment, so they're here to do a job, so yeah. they just yeah. they just kind of walk in and, you know... And they generally try to be quite understated. Yeah. yeah, You know, they might have even just jumped off the tube or something. Exactly. You know, like it's, and so they choose to be very low-key yeah. until they probably sat behind the mic. I think most people wouldn't even recognise them walking down the street yeah. and coming in. I really don't. Yeah. I mean, we have had some strange requests. <laughs> like, In fact, James reminded me of this one, <laughs> of a football manager who requested a comfy armchair and access to a TV so that in between his takes he could sit and watch his racehorse in, uh, on the telly. Mm. So he, we had a chair out. In reception, and he sat. He just kept popping out and sitting down. No way! And you guys obliged. This is what's we so yeah, this is what's so magical about and you guys. And he won, and we were won. all stood there. We were all in the foyer, sort of with him, cheering, cheering the horse on. He was he was the most fun to have here. Definitely, yeah, yeah. And who else? You say you've had some funny ones. Is there any others that you can recall? Uh, well, I did ask. Uh, in fact, we discussed this at the Christmas party on Friday. There was a voiceover who came in, um, quite a lot, big character, and then he sort of disappeared and he got all set up in the booth with his headset on and stuff and then sort of disappeared under the desk, made a quick change of clothing and everything, popped out as a, as his character before he could... Wow, very elaborate. <laughs> that totally freaked everyone out. That's brilliant. So you've had a few method actors in then. Yes. Amazing. Yes. Um, it's fun talking about celebs, but I know that you've formed some pretty good relationships just with creatives in general. Uh, some pretty formidable ones, in fact. I know you do stuff with Smith & Folks and Scott Dungate. Um, I just wondered if you could name drop a couple of your regulars and people that have become friends to the studio as well as clients. 
Uh, the guys at Creature, for sure. Yeah. Ben and Stu. I think there was, for us, um, there was a, a period of time around early 2000s, maybe up to 2003, something like that, where there was a chunk of people out of Mother that yeah. have, uh, were really like-minded, really fit us well, and we worked brilliantly together. And they now have gone on to do other things themselves. Yeah. And we still have very tight working relationships because they did become friends. Um, just it fitted for us. And I think that there was quite a few from that time. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, uh, ben and Stu were, ben and were Stu. part of that. Um, and so what, what would people know Ben and Stu from? Uh, they run an agency called Creature. Right. Um, and they are currently doing anchor butter. Yeah, yeah, and a photo box, photo box. Yeah, um, and at mother they were more. Now. They did uh, PG tips, pot noodle, yeah. all the all the good stuff. stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fun stuff. I yeah. pe- people often like when you say oh, I've been working on this really small brand. It's they're the fun ones. They're yeah, the ones where you can get yeah. get a little bit creative products with no intrinsic value whatsoever. So you have to add imbue them with something which is a little bit more interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. There was others: Kim, Gerrig, Caroline, Pay, Potsy and Jexy, Darren Bales, Al McCush. They were all part of that. Set. Gang, yeah, of, yeah. This is where you get to name drop all the high-paying clients. That... <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. I would say <laughs> when you ask me about friends, I would yeah, no, say. Yeah, no, no, no. I know um, I'm joking. This is, you know, yeah, they're good people, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, we should get some of them on. It'd be nice if we can uh, hook us up at some point. I'm sure you can. Yeah. Um, all these exceptional people coming here is merely a side effect of what I think is the thing that you guys are most special about. And we've already we've already touched on it, and it's the feeling that people get when they come here. And not only that, you've got a workforce of absolutely lovely people. Everyone you talk to is just yeah, it's just super nice. I mentioned to you, it feels like going outside on a cold day when you leave this place, even in the middle of the summer, because. It's just good vibes, you know. Uh, um, I've not known you guys very long, but I come in, it's a big hug. It's, how are you? We mm-hmm. talk about our lives. How have you gone about actually creating creating that? And may- maybe it's less less thought through than, than I'm making it out it is, but it definitely feels yeah. like an experience you guys have crafted. It, it probably is. Um, I think the one thing we always teach everyone here is that they're walking into your environment, so you should just make them feel very welcome. Everyone should feel welcome here. Always offer a cup of tea. It's the most important thing. Or a beer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think generally the team we have here are very genuine and real, and that's who we are. And I think having a hug is... What some people need, yeah. most clients need at some yeah, point. I think so. you have to treat people like you expect to be treated yourself. And, um, you know, th- there's lots of other sound studios you could go to, but um, people are choosing to come here. So, um, you know, you treat them with respect and, and make them welcome. But in terms of the staff, we we are very much a team-based operation here. Nobody is better than anyone else. And from the bottom up, everyone realises that um, their their role is integral to the success of the next person's role, you know. So putting a value on everyone's uh, efforts, I think, is important to 
yeah. the team feeling. I mean, you guys have it's you've got quite a, a a structure whereby you kind of I don't want to say you do your time and then you move up, but like there's 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 only so many booths and people have got so much talent and they're, they're moving up through the ranks, I guess, over time and as the business grows, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's quite uncommon, I think, for people to want to stay in that environment, especially young, ambitious people who are super talented. But everyone that works here seems to be of a certain ilk, a, a kind of person that is understands the kind of process they're going through. I mean, obviously, you must be approached by a lot of people. What is it you look for in the people you work with? Um, I Well, we've become quite good at reading between the lines of CVs, but we definitely like to meet people. Um, and number one thing, really, is good manners, uh, which might sound flippant, but you'd be surprised. Mm. Um, humility, uh, good manners, um, less talk, more proof, you know, those sorts of things. Um, so when we talk about other other sound engineers that probably look to factory and aspire to work for this company as well one day... Um, not saying that there's you know an abundance of spots, but what do you look for from talent when you look outside of the company? Uh, well, generally they have to be a person that fits with the rest of the team. We'll always put the team first. So if we don't think they're going to get be a good fit, then we'd leave it there. Really, that's that's an interesting thing you've said because does the team make it? Do the team get any input on hires? They sometimes do. Yeah, um, you know, we we make decisions really uh, by committee, <laughs> <laughs> but I have the final say. <laughs> I think it's experience as well. Once you, you know, we Lizette and I have been recruiting and interviewing people for a long time. You just you just kind of know. You just get a feeling, which might seem a bit blasé, but that that's what it is. Yeah, I just when you say about blasé, I mean, aside from recruitment. You guys just knock out week after week some of the most exceptional work that the industry, you know, knows. I mean, I, I always talk about it's nice to sometimes take people upstairs because they have to walk past this wall of, of silverware that you guys have accumulated. <laughs> so I'm surprised this building doesn't sink sometimes. But like, <laughs> what is what's the secret to it? I mean, why? I know we've we've dug in deep a little bit, but. Why do you guys think that you're consistently producing high-quality work? Is there something that you could put your finger on, or, or is it a combination of things? Well, we treat every project that comes in, in the door in the same way, regardless of its budget or its profile or who's involved in it. So I suppose that gives us the opportunity then um, for great work to happen uh, in a you know in a more diverse way and more of it um i don't i don't really know other than that really what what enables us to no i think i think everyone is super committed here i yeah. think when a project comes in you know everyone goes above and beyond and that through the whole team and i think that shows in the work yeah well said yeah that was very succinctly put yes <laughs> nailed it <laughs> Um, before I move on to some quick fires, I just want to uh, shout out someone that, well, the guy that introduced me to you guys, which is Reese Chapman. And so, just to give people listening, Reese was actually number one guest on the show uh, <laughs> way before I was in here. So don't go back and think that was any kind of factory audio, please. <laughs> but um, 
the great, you know, Reese was working on a film Wonder Kid, which was about the lack of openly gay players in football. And you guys very, very kindly helped him with that project. And afterwards, he introduced me to you guys, which has changed my life. Thank you so much. But um, you guys do take on occasionally some projects that are for what you deem the greater good, or I don't, I don't know what your, your incentives or motivations are, but I guess that's my question. Why do you guys do those kind of things? Um, for, for me, with Reese, I, I just think he's an amazing guy. I think he's really lovely. He was very humble about his whole experience and about the whole film. And the film is amazing. I think it's so good and, and a really important message as well. And I just, we just, everyone here just got on with him and he just kind of came in and was Reese. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, we do do passion projects yeah. continually. Um, uh, I, I don't know why, why we do them. I, I think it's because, number one, it's touched us for some reason. Um, number two, will it help the person who's going to invest their time on it in terms of them learning more or gaining more experience or creating relationships? Um, and then otherwise, I just think it's really important to allow everyone in the building to, to be excited about something that, um, can involve them above and beyond their normal role. Um, you know, so when we do do projects that are based on us passionately supporting someone um, who necessarily can't pay for our skills, we always try to think of how else we can get something out of the situation not financially, but, you know, can it teach someone else here something? Can we expand someone else's capabilities or expose them to something that they wouldn't do if they were, you know, and making just, tea every day? Just, just <laughs> on that, probably a good opportunity to name drop the, the guys behind the uh, the sound decks because, uh, yeah, Frankie and James, he, so when we initially started this whole thing, you said, I'm going to send out an email, see who's interested. And Frankie and James came forward. Both of them are complete dudes and absolutely awesome. Uh, and hopefully the whole experience has helped them in, uh, in what they're trying to do. But um, if not, just thanks, guys. Yeah, big yeah. love, big, big, big love to those guys. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. Without further ado, we may as well get into some quick-fire questions. Oh, you up God. for it? <laughs> oh, God. How quick are they? Um, well... <laughs> They're always these questions that take far much longer than uh, they're, they're supposed to, but it's okay. fine. Come on, guys, see what you got. Favourite okay. film or documentary? Uh, film, Singing in the Rain. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is this what you get? Okay, I'm going to say Pulp Fiction. Yes, good shout. Okay, very good. Uh, oh, you bu- sound much cooler than me. <laughs> I am much cooler than you. <laughs> <laughs> a, a book or land. <laughs> That's not hard, actually. <laughs> It's all right. It's cool to be a geek nowadays. Okay, geek good. chic. Okay. Uh, a book or learning resource you recommend? Well, the learning resource was a long time ago, I think. But um, a book that really touched me was a book called um, Five People You Meet in Heaven" by Mitch Album. It's really small. It's like a fable of, uh, yeah, basically the story of someone's life and what they imagine heaven's going to be. Um, And as you read it, you think it's going to be, he's going to meet all the people that have touched him. But what you realise is it's how he has affected these five people. Um, It's really touching. 
I know you're you're uh, you haven't got notes, so you you'll put right on this one. <laughs> Favorite book, uh, book Peppa um, Pig. Or? Yeah, definitely Peppa Pig for me. <laughs> you surely don't mean those pink ones from M and M. Percy Pigs. <laughs> um, a learning experience. I I think for me is to travel. I think it's the, it opens your mind. So uh, this is a question I have to ask now. I'll put you on the spot again. Of all the places you've visited, yeah, what's a cultural insight that has impacted or informed your life in some respect? Uh, when I went to Thailand about fifteen years ago, it was it, it shocked me at how poor I'd never really seen poverty like that, and it just it just made me realise and understand that people live different lives in the world and they don't have anything. I mean, Bangkok now is a totally different city, but then. Yeah, it was about poverty. Um, events people should attend? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I did tell Anthony this one. He didn't think it was that funny. But um, I would say <laughs> your own graduation, because I didn't go to mine. Uh, as Nor did I. And I've continually had to come up with excuses to my parents as to why there's no picture of me in a gown and a scroll. <laughs> and it's because this. I didn't actually tell them I had a graduation. There you go. There we are. I want to say Glastonbury, but I've never been, so that's a bit pointless. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone tells me it's awesome. Everyone says it's amazing. Right. I watch it on the BBC, so yeah. it looks great. Yeah. All right, there we go. Uh, what's a great present for you? Well, other than a handbag. Other than a handbag. Although um, you can go handbag. But... Okay. Uh, then a theatre ticket. I love going to the theatre. Uh, uh, an experience like a spa day a facial <laughs> thanks for that, You're welcome. that. <laughs> any clues anyone yeah. the best present yeah uh, final one it's, uh, it's a tough one but it always surfaces some interesting uh, ideas so if you were in the matrix and you could download any single skill in seconds what skill would you download and why I would like to be able to speak languages other than my own. <laughs> Yours is much more intelligent than mine. <laughs> um, yeah, just just that un, that thing about communication um, and being able to embed in a culture, being able to speak the language. What what, what language would you choose? I don't know. Spanish, I think, would get me the furthest around the world. Are you gonna? You, is your skill the splits or something? <laughs> Almost. Yeah. <laughs> a professional dancer oh okay. yeah sure. I, I want to go on Strictly Come Dancing that's my you got to do it we get, can make this happen for you Lou. yeah get a course on the go why not I'm not a celebrity enough but you know we'll see so before I ask both of you the final 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 question uh, where can people get hold of you and do you have any asks for the people that are listening um, well you can get hold of me here at Factory right <laughs> um uh, do I have any asks? That's a good question. Yeah. What would you if if for the for the five people listening? <laughs> what, <laughs> what, what what would you um, want them to do? My sisters. Yeah. Anthony. Mum. Yeah. <laughs> um. On in a in a professional sense, in a sound sense. How how however you want to get? Is there something you'd like them to watch on your roster of of stuff? Or? Oh, you don't want to know about that. <laughs> <No>? <laughs> I would definitely encourage people to go and check out Reese's film, Wonder Kid. That would be one from me. Yes. Okay. 
on the back of that, I'm going to go to check out our feature film that we worked on this year, Kissing Candice by Aoife. It's amazing. We did the music and the sound design. Obviously, I'm biased, but it is, <laughs> it's great. But it's on general release next year from May, I think. Amazing. Uh, what does general release mean? It, it's At the moment, it's doing uh, the uh, festival circuit, so they're not allowed to release it. Right. They have private screenings. But next May, I believe it's going on Amazon Prime. Amazing. Awesome. Uh, for me, I would direct people to watch Home, another short film that we started the year winning uh, BAFTA for. Amazing short film. Just another bit of silverware. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just a small one. Um, yeah. Our sound designer, John Clark, did an amazing job for it. And um, it's just a very touching, real, heartfelt short film that everyone should see. Okay, awesome. Final, final, final question. <laughs> if you had the opportunity to give the world one piece of advice to live a better and more meaningful life, what would it be? I'll start with you because you've prepared. Oh, do you know what? I missed that question, though. But, um, <laughs> I'm prepared. <laughs> She's prepared. Cool. I would say um, live life and laugh lots. Almost to say, live in the moment. Don't dwell on the past. Don't think about the future. Live for the now. There we go. Cheers, guys. Thank you so, uh, as I say, reiterate one last time. Thank you so much for everything you guys have done for me this year. Um, if you're an agency and you've got a sound studio, slack them off. Come to Factory. It's the best studio <laughs> in town. Yes. And, uh, yeah, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much, and I hope you have a wonderful Christmas, both Thank of you. you. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and share. I'd also like to invite you to an ongoing project called the Move Me Mailing List. If you enjoyed the show, I'm confident you'll enjoy this newsletter. It contains links to all the great content I've uncovered each month, along with insights of any interesting opportunities I've discovered. You can subscribe to this by visiting my website at rickyrichards.com. A special thanks to Frankie Byrne and James Utting. They're the tech heads that make this show possible. The intro music was composed by Dom Stores Fox. And thanks again to Reese Chapman for introing me to Lou and Lizette, the wonderful folks at Factory Studios in London, where this show is recorded. Finally, wherever you are in the world, I hope you have a great day and keep creating. Until next time, bye for now. <laughs>